Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Welcome to the Woodlands Messenger podcast. Today we are going to do a table talk, and my guest today is Deborah Washington, our head elder. Deborah, how are you doing? I'm good, Pastor. Good to see you. Same here, same here. I'm doing good. You know, our topic today is the state of the dead and what happens when you die. And uh, we're going to start with uh, its implications. You, know, Us Adventists have a unique understanding of the state of the dead. For those who may not be familiar, explain that. And what, are, what do you think are some of the implications about not having this topic right Right. So, I mean, our position is that when you die, you sleep and you sleep waiting on the return of Jesus Christ. And so, in my opinion, that is really a a great way to think about death, because the, the opposite opinion is that when people die, they go directly to heaven and they're looking down on their loved ones which I can only imagine would be a painful situation <laughs> to look down on your loved ones as they struggle through life, as they face challenges, it would hardly be heaven. So I think the idea, which is biblical, that we sleep when we die and we're unconscious, we're just waiting for Jesus to return, is more comforting. Yeah, you know, when when I look at that, right, there's basically two positions, right? The one that we hold and the one the rest of the world holds. And we hold that when you die, you sleep until the second coming of Christ. Nobody's going to heaven right away. Nobody's going to hell right away. Whereas the other position, uh, you never hear about anybody going to hell. <laughs> when people die, everybody goes to heaven. So what are some of the dangers of believing that when you die, you go either to heaven or hell, in your opinion? To me, it has a direct relationship on how we see God and the character of God. If we believe that we sleep and we're unconscious, we're not aware that we're dead, we're just waiting for Jesus to come. So the next moment of consciousness, we see Jesus coming. But if we believe that we die, particularly if we die and go directly to hell and burn, start begin to burn in hell immediately, what does that say about the character of God that he would uh, allow us to burn in hell uh, for an indefinite amount of time? Uh, and, or that we're looking down on our loved ones in heaven, alive, looking down on our heavens. Uh, have, we're alive in heaven, looking down uh, on our loved ones, and we're not able to help them or do anything uh, for them. That would not be heaven. So we're promised that heaven is a place where there will be peace and joy and love and no more tears. So God's word wouldn't be true. If heaven is not like that, if we are sad and, and, and concerned about our loved ones as we're there looking down on them. How did we get here, right? How do we get to the point where there are two, because even though Seventh-day Adventists 
believe in soul sleep, right? And other denominations do, but the majority view is the immortality of the soul. And and so let's go back to Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 3. How did it begin there, right? It began there with a little phrase. God said that in the day you eat of the tree, you will die. And who said what, right? Then the other guy, the enemy, said the opposite. So to me, and I'd like to hear your thought on this, to me it's always began with, with not really about what happens when you die, but about who you're going to believe. Exactly. I mean, either we're going to believe God when he says you will surely die, or we're going to believe the serpent. You shall not surely die. So those are the two choices set before us. So is, God, is, God, is God's word true or not? That's really the, that's really the, the, the decision. So how do you explain to somebody, though, who, who um, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they didn't die, you know, right? They didn't drop dead like like a bullet to the head. Right. But but they did begin the process of dying, separation from God. They began that process that day. And if God hadn't intervened in order to uh, make a sacrifice, make offer a plan of salvation, then that death process might have happened that very day. But because of God's grace that he intervened, to make a way for them, then that that death process wasn't an eternal death. Yeah, and that that I'm glad you brought that up because the gospel, right, is right there in Genesis three fifteen, that he would put enmity between, uh, you know, the the seed of the woman and the seed of uh, the devil, and so death then becomes the main battleground, right? The first battleground after after, you know, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So if you believe like we do, and by the way, to those listening, we're not going to dive into a lot of Bible scriptures. We're going to talk in generalities. But in the show notes, there will be three Bible studies uh, that go into detail. We're just having a conversation about its implications, right? So the Bible warns us throughout all of scripture not to consult the dead. Right. If you remember the story of Saul, he gets in trouble for consulting the witch of Endor. Right. And so many people think that she conjured up the spirit of Samuel. So that to me is one of the dangers. Right. If if you believe like we do that the dead know nothing, which is found in Ecclesiastes, then why did Samuel appear to Saul? Right. How, how would you answer that if somebody asked you that? I would say that it wasn't it wasn't Samuel <laughs> appearing to Saul. It was another spirit, not a good spirit, but an evil spirit uh, that appeared to Saul. But this is a very important point because very often people do talk about they were visited by some deceased relative, my grandmother or my mother, who is the father who is deceased, and. At the beginning, it may seem a little comforting, but usually if that continues, it always ends in the spirit saying something that is not in line with the Bible or somehow 
taking that person's focus away from what God has said and listening to the voice of the dead person. So ultimately, it still comes back to the same choice. Are we going to listen to God or are we going to listen to another voice? But but it sounds like grandma. It looks like grandma. It talks like grandma. Why is and, and and we humans are creatures of emotion, right? I was very close to my grandmother my on my father's side. Actually, to both my grandmothers, but I spent more time with the grandma on my dad's side. How do you combat that, right? If 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 she appears to me, or to someone who believes that the spirits are alive, how do you combat that? And and what are the warnings Scripture gives us to combat that? So we're told in scripture that the devil, the evil angels can transform even into angels of light. They can change their appearance. And as Christians, we are to walk by faith, not by sight. When we just lean on our own visual and our senses, if we are taken to a place that's different than what scripture tells us, then we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah, and that is, and that's why this to me this topic is so important because when you study Genesis chapter three, which we briefly spoke about, right, right away that's where the enemy contradicted God. God said, "You will die." Right away, the enemy said, "You wouldn't die." And so then you go fast forward to the end of the book, right, Revelation, and Revelation chapter sixteen talks about evil spirits seducing the leaders of this world. When you think of evil spirits, how are they going to manifest themselves? And if they manifesting themselves as deceased loved ones, and you buy into that, then you're ripe for deception. Whereas in our position, we know that the dead know nothing. If somebody tries to appear to us, we just can ignore it, right? Because it ignores the word of God. And and the way that plays out is that we see it today in society. And I've shared this with you. Michael Jordan is one of my, well, it's my all-time favorite basketball player. And when he won the championship against the Sonics, uh, they clinched the championship on Father's Day. And his father had been murdered. And he spoke about how his daddy was watching him throughout that game. And he did that for daddy. You know, I feel bad for him because he doesn't understand that daddy wasn't watching him. What are other ways you have seen that kind of spiritualism show up in society? Well, I think that very often, if you've ever gone to many funerals, you hear it right there in the funeral where you're told, well, first you're told that the person's sleeping and he's waiting on that great day when they will get up, and then uh, you're later told that they're in heaven and they're looking down on, on you. I mean, so we see that in funerals, and I think it leaves people confused. I also think it, um, I think about particularly when I've seen a funeral of a person who had a young child, and that child is not able to understand, so they're hearing that mother is looking down on them, that she can't come and help them, uh, and that they're trying to figure out why would God take my mother? That's another issue. But then if that mother were to appear to that child, that child may be, the mind may be open to satanic messages. 
because it, that child would not be uh, aware that this is not really my mom or whoever the loved one might be. And it doesn't just happen to children. Oh, no. Yeah, I've, I've heard it happen to adults. You know, I've heard it happen to people who, who have been married for a long time and lose a spouse. And that spouse purportedly shows up, tries to lead them away. You know, what about Scripture, right? Let's turn to Scripture, not necessarily chapter and verse, but stories we know of Scripture. I've always wondered, right, how people have come to that conclusion that when you die, you go straight to heaven. Because there are no stories in the Bible of that happening. For example, they like to point out to the story of Moses. Moses is in heaven, but the Bible tells us exactly why Moses is in heaven. The Bible tells us he was resurrected. Uh, Elijah's in heaven. Well, Elijah never died. He was taken up. And then there's a story, if maybe you can elaborate, on remember when Peter is preaching and he talks about David and in, in the book of Acts, what does he? You remember what he says about David, dead and buried, and still in the tomb. All right. So if you think of David, a man after God's own heart, if he's still in the tomb, then how could we expect other people to be in heaven? So what I'm trying to say is that every person that we know is in heaven, the Bible has given us their resurrection story, even the first fruit that were raised when Christ died. Right, It says the graves were open on Friday, and they resurrected on Sunday. So there's never any case. And so elaborate for me on Lazarus, right? the story of Lazarus, where he's dead and buried for four days. What are principles we can draw from that? Right. And so we see that when Jesus, the message comes that Lazarus has died, Jesus said he's sleeping. The people around him didn't understand, and so he plainly said Lazarus has died. And so we went there. Uh, he, when he went there, the tomb was closed, and Mary and Martha were even concerned that his body would stink by now, by the fourth day. And so Jesus had to call him forth to resurrection. And so he was, he did not, Lazarus did not go directly to heaven. He was in the tomb, and Jesus called him forward out of the tomb not back from heaven. And you would think such a glorious event, if it happened the way most people believe, that he'd have something to say about what he saw in heaven, and that one of the disciples would have recorded it. But there was nothing he, there's nothing he said about being in heaven because he wasn't. What are some of the other protections it affords us by believing the way we do, that when you die, you know nothing until the second coming? So yeah, there are a number of scriptures that, that talk about that. So I don't know how much we want to get. I know you're going to, to link the Bibles. We're going to be resurrected at the last trumpet. So if you look at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, that at death, we all go to the grave and we await the resurrection. And it talks about also in Thessalonians um, that we're going to be raised at the last trumpet. So if everyone is already in heaven, what is the point of the second coming? What is the resurrection? if everybody is already in heaven. That's a lot of confusion. A professor of mine used to say, a lot of doctrines, when you isolate them, you can kind of teach them from Scripture, even if they may be erroneous. But he said, this is why I like systematic theology. He says, because 
when you have the Bible and understand it correctly, then all the parts fit. And the example he always used to use was, if when we die, we all go to heaven, then what's the point of the second coming and the, and the opening of the grave? Yeah, the body doesn't reconnect with the soul because we're given a new body. Right. So he could do that in heaven. He doesn't have to use material from down here. To me, the biggest concern, though, about it is the rise of spiritualism in society. You see it more in TV shows. You see it more. I watch sports. I'm a Celtics fan. And Jason Tatum, one of the leaders of the Celtics, texted Kobe Bryant, who's been dead for several years, a message saying that he was going to win, basically, that he was going to guarantee winning game seven. Why are you texting a dead man? And so do you remember Nancy Reagan and what she was doing with the dead consulting tarot cards do you remember that i remember hearing about that yes yeah and so we see it in society this notion of of wanting to i guess to live forever to live beyond and it's dangerous because like you mentioned earlier the devil can impersonate an angel of light i mean i've definitely heard of people uh, as part of their greeting process writing a letter to a dead person or, or something like that. To me, that's even different still than the dead person talking back. <laughs> that's a very different point of view because the Bible clearly says the dead know nothing. I mean, I talk to my car. I, you, know, you know, I talk to inanimate objects. I know that they're inanimate, but I don't expect them to talk back. So when dead begin, when people start talking about dead appearing and the dead people talking, that is clearly um, contradictory to Scripture. You know, in the last days, the book of Revelation talks about, well, Thessalonians, actually, that there's going to be strong delusion and that there's going to be manifestations of demons in Revelation chapter 12. And that is only possible if you believe that dead people can talk to you. Exactly. And that is, that's the dangerous point. When you believe that dead people can, they have conscious thought, they can talk, they can communicate, they can appear, move around. That is a dangerous thought because it is in direct violation or contradiction to what God has said, that they will surely die. The Ecclesiastes talks about how they never have the memory of them is forgotten. I think that Psalms and Ecclesiastic right. talks about uh, they, they never return to their house. Right, and exactly. their thoughts perish and their love. You know, two. there are two main Bible verses, though, that I think we're going to hit on now that people use to try to prove their view of the state of the dead. And the first one is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, and uh, I find that funny because they say that, see, Lazarus is in heaven. But what's what's flawed with that type of thinking when it comes to that parable? They're saying that Lazarus is in heaven, the rich man is in hell, already burning. The idea that the, rich, the person in hell can see who the person in heaven, even in the text, it says you can't cross over the, the 
these people can't cross over these two worlds. When he's talking about the Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, we don't even have a record that Abraham is in heaven. That doesn't really quite make sense. And it is this passage has to really be a parable because it doesn't make sense with all the rest of Scripture. Because Abraham, Lazarus, and the rich man, they're all, they're all dead. And the Bible clearly says that the dead know nothing. That's what it says in Ecclesiastes. So they, this conversation cannot be happening from what we know from the rest of Scripture. It seems to also foreshadow just the, the fact that Lazarus was used. If you read the rest of the passage, it seems that God is talking about who will you listen to. Even when coming back from the dead, you won't listen to. And so Lazarus is actually raised, and instead of the Pharisees listening, they actually became more angry and wanted to get rid of Jesus and Lazarus. That's how deceptive sin is, and that's the dangerous uh, part of the danger of spiritualism. Uh, spiritualism has its hold on people because spiritualism and supernatural is real. But if we know it's real and it contradicts scripture, then you know it's the devil and his enemies. And if the dead know nothing and your grandmother shows up or your husband or your child, we know that that's not really them, but a demon impersonating them. And so scripture protects us from that because we know the dead know nothing. We know that they sleep in the grave, Thessalonians, Corinthians, as you mentioned until the resurrection, then we are, we are protected from spiritualistic and supernatural deception because we don't live by sight, we live by faith. And that faith is in the Word of God. So that's the protection. And yet the world is steeped in spiritualism. Uh, movies, TV shows. I mean, it started with good witches like Bewitch. And then you get even darker shows that take place, even in songs, even in uh, movies. Doctor Strange, I didn't see the movie, but Doctor Strange, my friends told me, is very heavy into spiritual warfare. And it's funny that there are there is also a movement or a group of people who believe that the devil himself does not exist, yet dead people can talk. So... That's one of Satan's tactics is that he always likes to use other people for his messages. So he actually tries to use the deception that he does not exist. There is no such thing as a devil, but your grandmother, who's dead, can talk to you <laughs> and tell you things. I mean, it's just very indicative of how the devil operates, that he would do that. And it's a weapon he uses because if you believe like we do, that the dead know nothing, then we are guarded against any type of supernatural spiritualism that contradicts the Word of God. But if you believe that when you die, you continue to live, either in heaven or in hell, and you can communicate, then the field is open for him to use that in any way possible. That's right. So there's one truth. The devil uses all kinds of lies. So he has all kinds of agents. As long as we're believing that the dead can talk and communicate, he has all of these agents to appear to uh, to us or to a person. So someone that you would trust, that's who he's, he's going to come to you as. He's not going to come to you with a pitchfork and, you know, <laughs> a tailor. 
or an enemy or somebody you didn't like. Exactly. Continuing with the parable of the dead man and Lazarus, right? They, they want to, those who believe that proves when you die, you go to heaven. They take that part literally, but the, the rest of the parable, they don't take literally. First of all, a raindrop, I mean, one little drop of water is not going to quench the thirst of somebody in hell. And by the way, you know, we'll do a table talk on hell uh, one day, but hell doesn't exist either. <laughs> hell is a figment of people's imagination as well. And we could get into that some other day. Matter of fact, though, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to a study on hell as well. But then also, if you take that literally, how big is Abraham's bosom? Right. We can't all fit. First of all, how big is Abraham? <laughs> so you can't take that literal. And, and the point, right? And the whole point, parables usually make one profound point. And the point of that parable is that, and I'm summarizing it in a, in a bigger way, is that you are so deceived that even when I resurrect Lazarus, you're not going to believe that I am the son of God. Right, Because he tells them, even if one should rise from the dead, they will not believe. And sin is so deceptive, and we mentioned it. They saw Lazarus resurrect, and they plotted to kill Jesus and Lazarus. That's right. And, and the reason stated, as a matter of fact, I want to read it. So I promise not too much scripture, keep it, but I do want to read this. So 43 is where it says, Lazarus come forth, Eleven forty-three. Oh, yeah, verse 47 and 48. Listen to this, right? So Jesus just resurrects Lazarus, a crowning miracle. And look at verse 47 and 48 from John chapter 11. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So look at their concern, right? And that's how deceptive sin is. He raises somebody from the dead, his crowning miracle, and yet instead of surrendering, they want to kill him and Lazarus. Exactly, because it says in verse 53 very clearly, so from that day on, they planned together to kill him. But this is what happens when we open ourselves up to messages from Satan. So ultimately, he wants to still kill and destroy. And so how, however he can motivate us to that end, is that's his desire. Yeah. And so there's another verse, Deborah, that a lot of people use that I'd like to discuss as we'll wrap up here in a few minutes, is found in 1 Corinthians, and let's go there, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, no, 2 Corinthians 5, which is about to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Verses uh, 1 through... 1 through 8, 2 Corinthians. A more detailed Bible study of this will be in the show notes to those listening. So let's go through these verses. It says, verse 1, For we know that if, this, that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So what is he talking about there? Clearly, and this is for the audience to see, he's talking metaphorically. Right. Right. He's not talking about a house. He's talking about his body. That's right. And Corinthians, as you mentioned, Corinthians 15 uh, talks about this mortal must put on immortality. That's right. 
here we have, he's talking about an earthly tent or earthly body, which I know I have one because I don't have any hair for those of you who don't know me, (laughs) right? And we all have our aches and pains. Then he compares it to a building from God. Well, what have we been promised at the resurrection? A new body, a glorified body. Yes, right? One with no more aches and pain, no more arthritis, no more cellulitis, no more overweightness. I get my hair back. And so that's so let's keep that clear, right? And he says, We have building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan. Well, obviously, he's not talking about a physical house, he's talking about his body. And we groan, right? Aches and pains. Every t- you know how, one reason I know I'm old that? is that I wake up and if I don't do mobility exercises in the morning, I feel like a stiff old goat <laughs> <laughs> when my girls just wake up and run around. So we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Wouldn't you want your resurrected body now? Right, exactly goes back to that idea of putting on immortality. He's using that same imagery of putting on clothing. So that's what he's longing for. All of us are longing for our, our perfect body. And then look at verse 3. It's key for this. He says, In as much as we, having put it on, right, we will not be found what? Naked. Naked. So there's three categories here. Right. There is earthly body, which we have. There's a heavenly body, which he longs for. And then what he doesn't want to be is naked, which represents what? Death. And I think we can see that even in our own daily lives. If you change clothes, you take off one set of clothes. There's a point where you have taken the clothes off and put on another set of clothes. So for a person who is not seeing you in that process. It looks like you had one set of clothes on at one minute and then you come out with another set of clothes on. But you know that you went through a process and he doesn't want to be found naked in that in-between stage of, I don't have this set of clothes on and I don't yet have this set of clothes on. So that is the green, mortality and immortality. It's only at the second coming that that happens in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know about you, but the this analogy makes perfect sense to me. There are many times I want to go out, but I don't feel like changing clothes. I don't want to go through that process of changing clothes. And that's what he's saying here. If I could just you know, snap my finger and I'm already dressed for the next appointment, that would be great. But I can't do that. I have to go through the process of changing clothes. And that's, that's what he's saying here. He would rather not do that process of death. And the analogy fits when you keep it in context with Corinthians 15. This mortal must put on immortality. Look at verse 4. He says, For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan. Once again, repeating, right? This tent is this body. Being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, right? We don't want to die. Look, even us who have the hope of the resurrection, I don't want to die. I want to live as long as healthy as possible, right? Exactly. Which always confines me, right? If you die and go straight to heaven, why do everybody fight to stay alive? That's right, exactly. 
We don't want, yeah, we, we would want to go directly to heaven. You know, people say, oh, suicide is bad. Okay, but people fight to stay alive. They long to stay alive. If you really believe that when you die, you go straight to heaven, then you might play it a little looser. Right. And, and especially if you think you can, you're going to be alive and still be able to see what's going on. Even for people with fear of missing out, they think that they can see what's going on in, on the earth. It would make sense to stay here in this body full of aches and pains. Everybody would want to go straight to heaven if that were the case. So continuing, it says, uh, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed. And that unclothed, right, similar to naked, is death. He doesn't want to die. He wants to be clothed. So that, so that, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by what? Life. Not death. Not death. Yeah, life. not death. That's that's the key, right? right? And and we have eternal life, right? But that is that is in the notion of the resurrection. As we mentioned earlier in Acts, I think it's chapter 13, where David is still buried and his tomb is with us. If David, a man after his own heart, is not in heaven, what hope do we have? But it's because we sleep in the grave. Every known person that we know in heaven. The Bible has detailed to us how they got there. Enoch was taken up. Elijah in a chariot of fire. Moses resurrected. The first fruits were resurrected. Resurrection is always key to being in heaven. Christ himself did not die and go to heaven. He resurrected before he went to heaven. Exactly. Because he said, once he was resurrected, don't touch me yet. I haven't been to my father yet. Yes. And he had been in the grave, what, three days? Right, Right? exactly. So let's keep going. Verse 5. Now he who prepared for us this very purpose is God, who gave to us spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. No contradiction so far. Right. I mean, there won't be any, right? He's saying, while we're in this earthly body, with its groaning and its burdensome, we're not in the presence of the Lord in heaven, in our, in our glorified body. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So obviously, Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. But that's not because we see him. That's by faith. Right. Yeah, we don't need faith if we're already in heaven. Seeing Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. I think Corinthians as well talks about how, you know, we see dimly now in a mirror, but then we shall see him face to face. At that point, you don't face to face. We don't need faith. Then we're seeing the reality. Once again, the definition of faith, right? Faith is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Yeah. <laughs> Verse eight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So he's not saying that when you die, he he doesn't want this body because you can't be home at the Lord with this body. Right. Because the only way we get to be in front of the Lord is with a resurrected body. When this mortal puts on immortality. So this verse doesn't hold water for those who believe you go straight to heaven. Verse 9. Therefore, we also have our ambition, whether our home or our absent, to be pleasing to him. 
And so how would you explain that last verse? So whether in this life or in the next, in the, when we have eternal life, we want to be pleasing to him. So as we wrap up here, what are your f- closing thoughts on this topic? And and if you had to make an appeal to somebody who believes that that when you die, you really don't die, right? That's the irony too, right? Jesus said, God said, you'll die, but people don't believe you die. They're actually believing Satan. What what's a, what would be an appeal if you're appealing to somebody who's in the valley of this decision? In all things, I think if there's a question or a doubt in the mind, is to study it out. Those Bible studies that you're going to link, go through those, study it out, and see what the Bible actually says. And then once you have studied it, believe God. Believe what God has said, not what the devil has said. God said, you shall surely die. The devil said, you shall not surely die. Those are the two choices. So believe God. And I love that. And I think I'll piggyback off that. It all boils down to that. Who are you going to believe? Don't believe me. Don't believe Deborah. Don't believe your pastor. Study it out. Go to the Bible studies in the show notes and then compare it to the scriptures and ask God to lead you to the truth. Because as we're told, the truth shall set you free. And once we understand this subject, you'll begin to see how the whole world is wrapped up in this deception. You'll begin to see it in, in, in how people celebrate Halloween, which we do not do. Movies, music, athletes, everybody is looking down upon us. But the Lord says that we all sleep awaiting his voice. And I can't wait for that day. Amen. Yeah, because I know my grandmother, my my father are sleeping in the grave. And the next thing they'll hear is the voice of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Deborah, thank you. Um, Next time we'll have Ken Nelson, one of our other elders, on the talk. But we'll be doing more of these table talks. Church, if you're listening. If you have a subject you'd like us to discuss or you want to be part of the, a future guest on these table talks, just uh, let Deborah or myself know and we'll do it again. Deborah, close us out in prayer and um, everybody, God be with you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the truths that we can find in your word. We thank you that your Holy Spirit will lead us to the truth because we cannot discover it on our own. So we read the Bible knowing that you will lead us into all truth. And we just pray that these words will be impressed upon the hearts of everyone who's listening to this podcast so that we can be safe in the truth that is you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org. And you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.